Welcome to In Conversations, a podcast where we dive into potent, relevant, and sometimes highly political issues or topics that affect our Khan College community. My name is Anna Ostrovsky, Ayushine pronouns, and I'm one of the program coordinators for the Gun Dialogue Project. Hello, I'm one of the other program coordinators for the Dialogue Project, and my name is Camila Drensen, I use she, her pronouns. Our conversations will be focused on exploring social identities, including race, gender, sexuality, social class, religion, and nationality, working to increase intercultural awareness and foster greater community understanding. So like we said, we are from the Gun Dialogue Project, and that's within the Connecticut College Division of Institutional Equity and Inclusion. You might know it as DIEI. Our mission is to provide members of our community with challenging, transformative, educational opportunities to engage in facilitated face-to-face conversations. But given our current highly virtual life because of a global pandemic, we hope to bring this format of challenging dialogue-esque community conversations to our community wherever you are across the globe through this audio medium. And that's why we're talking to you right now through this podcast. Throughout our season, we will bring together diverse groups of students, faculty, staff, admin, and alumni to talk about hard things facilitated by our trained peer facilitators. From these conversations, we hope to raise our collective consciousness, build stronger relationships across social identities, and equip our audience with tools for taking action against inequality at Con and beyond. That being said, we believe in using dialogue as a tool for social change, but not as the only solution. We don't see it as the quote-unquote end-all, be-all. And on this intro episode, we will provide you with an overview of our program so far. You will hear from students who were in the first intergroup dialogue first-year seminar last year, the professors who co-taught that course, including the Dean of Equity and Inclusion, John McKnight, and then from some of our wonderful peer facilitators, who have been working since their training last February to learn how to facilitate these kind of conversations. So let's start at the beginning. How did the Gun Dialogue Project start? So we received a generous philanthropist gift from an alumni from the class of 1960, Agnes Gunn, who donated one million to count for the Dialogue Project. We also got some faculty and staff interested and trained in the University of Michigan on the intergroup dialogue pedagogy. We then last year launched the speaker series Conversations on Race in partnership with The Day, which is a local newspaper in New London, and the Coast Guard Academy. We also had the first first year seminar um, of the intergroup dialogue style which was also called A Conversation on Race, and I was lucky enough to be a part of that course, which was co-taught by Dean McKnight and Audrey Sikertsky. And as we mentioned before, last February, we had our first peer facilitators training, which we are still having our current cohort of facilitators where we meet weekly to keep strengthening and working on our peer facilitator skills and techniques during the semester. So that group has been meeting throughout this entire semester in the fall, being remote, on Zoom, continuing to do dialogue training. But hold on a second, we keep using this word dialogue. Camila, can, can we go back a second? What is dialogue? 
So dialogue is a cool collaborative conversation where two or more sides work together toward common understanding with personal experience being central to self-awareness and political understanding. It remains open-ended with the goal being to find common ground. Cool. So now that we've given you this brief overview of everything we hope to do and more, let's dive in. Um, we hope that you come away from this episode ready and excited to dialogue. So I'm Aaron Duran, Director of Gender and Sexuality Programs, uh, also one of the sort of co-coordinators of the Dialogue Project. Thanks for joining us today, John, for our first ever episode of our Dialogue Podcast. Um, for those in the community listening who maybe don't know you yet, could you provide us with uh, a basic introduction to who you are, what you do at Con, and then share a bit of your history with Dialogue Work? Absolutely. Thank you, Aaron. It really is a pleasure to be participating in this first episode. I'm so happy that we've arrived um, at this point. So my name is John McKnight. I use he, him, his pronouns. Um, I serve as the Dean of Institutional Equity and Inclusion at Connecticut College, which is, I always say, a mouthful of a title. Um, it means that I'm the Senior Diversity Officer for the campus, and it means that I have the responsibility to work with others on campus, with colleagues, with students, um, to really make sure that we are creating a welcoming and affirming experience for everyone on our campus. Um, when you live and work in a college environment, there are a lot of different ideas and personalities and backgrounds that come together uh, in very tight quarters, so to speak. And we are, uh, you know, rubbing elbows with people who represent, uh, you know, identities and experiences that we just aren't familiar with. And we could just simply acknowledge and celebrate that, uh, which is important, and we do do that on our campus. Or we could try to go to the next level, which is to actually let it inform um, our experience as students, as learners, as workers within a college context. And so we're aiming for all of the above. We're aiming for creating the kind of community that um, really maximizes the diversity we have as part of the educational experience. Um, and that's why we have started focusing on dialogue. So for me, as someone who's been sort of a lifelong student affairs administrator, someone who works with student identi identity development theory, we've always played around with different techniques and tools for how we could educate the community of students about difference, about social identity, about diversity, equity, and inclusion. And dialogue kept coming up time and time again for me in all of the professional development experiences I was having as a young professional. And what I learned is, you know, in order for us to get to any other form of collective action, we have to start by really understanding where people are coming from and being able to develop a greater sense of empathy for people who are not like us um, and to really nuance our own perspectives on issues of justice and identity. And so dialogue really quickly became in my career, one of the leading sort of approaches, if you will, uh, to being able to, to do that form of, of multicultural education. Can you tell us a little bit about what you see the need for intergroup dialogue on college campus being? Absolutely. So intergroup dialogue came about um, because of the recognition that we need help as people to figure out how to better hear one another and learn from one another 
um, and most importantly, really kind of open up our perspectives on issues of social justice. And so the whole idea is that when you're dealing with people who have different identities than you, when you're in a sort of working context with them or you're living nearby, you know, we need just a little bit more support and we need a little bit of guidance as to how to speak and listen in a way that does not cause offense. So that's what it's all about. Can you talk a little bit specifically about what excitement you feel for the program at Khan? Yeah, we've been building this for quite some time. And what's been so great about the process is just seeing the enthusiasm from within our community for developing dialogue skills, um, both from students as well as faculty and staff colleagues. What excites me the most is that people are hungry for this kind of content, that people are really interested in and invested in learning dialogue skills so that we can have more effective communication around really difficult topics. So I think what's cool about the con approach is we have both curricular and co-curricular elements that we can get into, but um, it's just nice that we have such a comprehensive approach to what we're doing. So welcome, y'all. Really excited to have you on our first version of this podcast. We have Mira and Catherine with us from the first year seminar, uh, Conversations on Race, and that was the first intergroup dialogue seminar. So hi, y'all. Good morning. Hi. Hello. It's Good afternoon. Morning. So I'm wondering, like, for y'all, like, how did your experience change over time while engaging in, like, these routine dialogues each week? Like what dynamics were playing out? I mean, for myself, um, just probably similar to how a lot of the other white people felt like um, they weren't easy conversations, but I never felt like super triggered about anything that, you know, would affect me for, okay, more than this one night. Um, so I think that experience, I think it's a good question you raised because it's like, how do we have these conversations without putting the whole burden on people of color and how do we do that in a way that's beneficial to everyone and not just, Oh, like this helps us. So that's great. I personally experienced kind of both ends of what you were talking about, Anna. So like at the beginning of the semester, I'm sure like most people, I was so excited every week, like Wednesday night, like two hours, 45 minutes. That didn't matter. Cause I was going to be in an amazing classroom setting with like amazing professors and peers like dialoguing about these important topics but I think there were weeks where I felt super invigorated coming away from a conversation but um I also like you saw my friends and other BIPOC students just exhausted mentally from frustration and just lack of clarity in conversations between BIPOCs and white students but then there were some weeks where I was feeling that exhaustion as well and those triggers of wow like my white peers think that they get it but there's still so much that they need to learn and there's so much that isn't apparent to them that they'll just never understand because they're not people of color so I think specifically like because our class was about race there was just so much weight behind every single conversation and every single thing someone said 
It is tough. It's tough work because it requires a level of self-reflection that isn't actually all that common or typical. We don't often think back on early life experiences with gender or race or sexuality. We sort of just go throughout our days and nights um, living our lives and, and not necessarily doing that level of reflection. So that that I would say is very challenging. And when you're in a mixed race group or a mixed gender group or whatever the topic of the dialogue might be, um, sometimes there's disproportionate um, sort of labor that is felt and experienced in an intergroup dialogue. So hi, I am Audrey Zakriski. I'm a faculty member of the Department of Psychology, and I'm also the director of the Hollerin Center. We had some difficult moments, you know, moments when that level of vulnerability didn't feel like it was matched. Like if some people felt that they were offering more um, to the dialogue than others were, that that feeling of unequal sharing can really Mm -hmm. create some tension. Um, When people are challenged and they have difficulty listening and showing that they're listening, that can also feel really hard. And and sometimes people sort of distance themselves because it's a little bit much, but what that looks like and feels like to somebody else can be like, you know, it seems the person's disinterested or disagrees. So how we manage our own reactions to challenging dialogue, you know, that sends messages to the people we are dialoguing with. And then all of that is stuff that you process. We did reach a moment in the class where a lot of the students of color started feeling like, hey, you know, we've been doing a lot of um, self-reflection and we've been disclosing a lot of really personal information about our own stories. um, And we don't feel like we're being met with that same level of contribution from our white peers. And so that was tough. That was a tough moment. But the reason we try to build these sort of sustained uh, cohorts of students talking with each other is because you can build a level of trust and respect within that group and also comfort. You know, you you feel more inclined to share your personal narrative with a group of people who you start to like and enjoy being around. And that's part of what we're hoping for through this experience as well. So I always recommend to folks from marginalized groups, you know, you can decide, you get to control how much of yourself you want to bring into these conversations. No one else can sort of monitor that for you. And I don't think it's the expectation, nor should it be, that that people disclose too much information until they feel a, a deep sense of trust. You know, people in the room may not understand everything that you're saying. They may be coming from a place of ignorance and, and lack of education or experience. But if you've started to develop a sense of trust with them, then you start actually feeling like you want to provide more information for them to consider as they round out their perspective. So don't avoid it for the fear that you're going to be made to become the educator. And there's also plenty more for all of us to learn in spite of our marginalized identities, right? We're never done. I am a person of color. I've experienced racism throughout my life, but there's so much more I can learn about that and about every other form of oppression. So I I wouldn't foreclose to the idea that dialogue is, is for all of us. So what was unique about having this curricular opportunity to engage in dialogue in the classroom was that we had time to build these relationships across difference. And that was in the sustained form each week, which brought a lot of benefits, but also what Mira and Catherine and John and Audrey allude to is that that takes a lot of emotional labor and effort. And this is all something that we are trying to currently do outside the classroom with our peer facilitators cohort. 
So as we mentioned in the intro, we also have a current cohort of trained dialogue peer facilitators who have, some of them have been involved in the FYS conversations on race, but others just got involved in the training on the last spring. And for this episode, we have engaged with Melissa and Caroline to share some of their experiences and what they value and see in dialogue, both for con and beyond in their personal lives. Um, hi everyone, my name is Melissa. I'm an international student from Peru. I'm a sophomore here on campus. Back in high school or with my family, like when it was time to talk about controversial topics, like I never got anything out of it. Like I would say my opinion, but I, I would get so heated or it were, it turned to a point where it was no longer like a conversation. It was more of like a fight. And I realized how like none of those conversa conversations were effective for me. Like I, Although I, I said my opinion, I don't think it was impactful for the other person. Like, I don't think the person got any out of it just because of my attitude. I say that now I'm more open. Um, I used to be very, very um, firm with my opinions, but it, has, it also has helped me to learn how it's through like dialogue, through listening to others, listening to other perspectives that you can actually grow. So I, I would say that dialogue in, in that sense has helped me a lot. So my name is Caroline. I'm a sophomore at Connecticut College and I'm a peer facilitator. I've I've always considered myself like a, like a decent listener, but I think after going through like the trainings with the dialogue, I realized the importance of like active listening and not just like hearing what the person is saying. And it it served as kind of a wonderful reminder of the uh, what the objective of the conversation that that I might be having is and it's not about convincing someone like that they're wrong and that like I'm right but like it's uh, about being there uh to listen to to share our thoughts and and ultimately like reach this this sense of understanding and like connection and it's been extremely helpful like within my friendships uh when I when we need to set boundaries or, or respectively call someone in and then also even with with peers and with um faculty and and family especially around the the tensions that were 2020 with with COVID and the election, um, it's just allowed me to have more like effective and meaningful interactions. Yeah. Um, well, definitely conversations with my friends are so um, different right now. Like I try to be more open to listen to their opinions. Like practice some some tools that we have learned. For example, Lara, Larry, um, active listening. Um, I also have noticed how. Um, when we when we are like in dialogue training, like we talk about like possible responses to some comments. So I was also started reflecting on how like I could use those in future conversations with my family when I'm trying to um, express my opinion. our stakeholders of dialogue to share what was the potential they saw of this program at Con and beyond and this is what they shared. So sometimes people assume that dialogue is really just about talking you know about sitting together in a circle and just talking to one another and you know there are questions about how meaningful that actually is in terms of the bigger the biggest projects around social change. Um, I get it. And one of the things I would say to that is it's a really, really essential tool, but it's not the only tool. 
dialogue connects to all the other important forms of social change and social action. What it allows you to do is humanize the experience of being from a marginalized identity by understanding and appreciating people's personal narratives, and then taking that very nuanced, uh, empathetic viewpoint into these other spaces where you can do more direct action, where you know you might want to get involved in the legislative sense. You might want to get involved in some sort of form of civic engagement or change your spending habits. All of those direct actions that we make towards social change, we can do more effectively when we've started out with a really strong connection to dialogue. I think that as our group grows, like that we as individuals in our everyday life can start a a shift in the culture and a shift in the conversation on like issues that matter and that need to be addressed and like the obvious disparities and injustices in the world, but then within our own campus as well. And then within the dialogue sessions, like if we're uh, able to incorporate them to a point where people feel like excited about exchanging ideas and learning from one another, um, I think that's a magical thing, honestly, <laughs> like really mm-hmm. cool thing. Because uh, I think in, in in dialogue, like we're creating like these, these leaders that have a passion for the hard conversations. And uh, and you combine that with the peer facilitators who are being trained and it's it's just a small part in the solution. And I think it, it could be really cool. One thing that's big for me in dialogue and that uh, has made me very passionate about it is that it's not just it's not just the in-classroom dialogues, right? That this is about truly re-envisioning the ways that we engage with one another, the ways that we conceptualize communication, relationship, connection. Right. And because right. of that, it, it it has so much opportunity or so much potential to go beyond eight students in a room. Like dialogue has this like wonderful ability to um to kind of confront issues at their root. And it, it definitely isn't easy and it isn't a quick process. Um, I think it's just it's just a way that we can uh, learn more today than we did yesterday about each other, about uh, systems of oppression. And it's a, it's a really good tool. It's a good tool and you know how to use it. It's, it's pretty effective. The dialogue's all about digging deeper and giving people the skills, right? Because we're not always taught those skills to engage in that. I don't know with, if this comes directly from the dialogue literature. It might be from something that Daryl Dwing Sue said. He was on campus for a training that same fall mm-hmm. 2019, but the, the goal of making the invisible visible. So like yes. kind of naming the dynamics that are in the room or naming the dynamics that were present becomes really important. And naming master narratives. You know, So mm-hmm. all of this, like you were saying, like it sort of puts you in a space where you're talking about things that we don't normally talk about or we're not, you know, we might avoid talking about, or maybe we were even told don't talk about that. But making the invisible visible and it's not invisible to everybody you know it's very visible to (laughs) some people but like maybe making things that are invisible to some people visible to everyone and also then uh, naming uh, surfacing i think is the term they use surfacing master narrative Mm -hmm. so as they show up in the the room what are these phenomena what's their history what's the legacy and then what's the lived experience and what helps people see things they haven't seen before So as you can see, we could go on and on and on about the benefits and what we see as the potential of intergroup dialogue. And hopefully by now you too are excited just after the short amount of time about what dialogue can do for you. 
And this is exactly what we're going to do throughout this podcast, this semester and beyond. Engage with each other, talk about hard things, and figure out how we can make change. So this has been In Conversation with the Connecticut College Gun Dialogue Project. Thank you so much for listening. Be sure to share this episode with friends and family and follow us on our Instagram at con.dialogue. And stay tuned for our next episodes, which will be coming soon. Thank you. We'd like to thank everyone who made this episode possible. Thank you, Enzo Tran, for mixing our beautiful music. Thank you, Agnes Gund! Woo!